The Tennis Gateway Podcast and the Sports Game Podcast Network presented by our Patreon. Score exclusive perks, content, and contests, including our NFL win totals contest with a $1,000 prize. Join today at sportsgamepodcast.com slash Patreon. We're also brought to you by Parlay Play. Parlay Play is a lead pipe locking for parlaying player props. Go to parlayplay.io and use the promo code SGP for a 100% deposit bonus today. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gam Podcast Network. It is currently early Wednesday morning, August 9th, and I'm your host, as always, Scott Rochelle, once again going solo for this pod. Should be a fun one. It is time to get into the round of 32 in Toronto. So looking forward to breaking down some matches. We're going to follow the same script that we followed for some of the other Masters 1000 events, as well as the Grand Slams. We're going to go through some matches that just caught my eye. I'll mention my thoughts on the actual betting spreads and totals, etc. Mention some takeaways and go from there. But the point is, we're not going to cover every match. We're going to cover some for the round of 32. So get excited, strap in, a lot of tennis matches to preview. But before we get into any of that, do want to briefly explain why this episode is coming out a little bit late. Technical difficulties. I was hoping to get this out maybe two hours ago, but unfortunately, one of the softwares that... Uh, we used was down temporarily, so I had to delay. So as a result, apologies. Glad I got back up, though, because there was a chance we were not going to record tonight at all or this morning, however you want to phrase it at all. Point is, happy to be able to actually get the episode out. So it is what it is. I'll make sure that I get this out with ample time for all of you to bet on matches. The first match is going to be taking place Wednesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern time. I'm not going to have a play on those matches, so you should have some extra time to actually get in uh, your bets. But either way, point is, before we get into any of the match previews, got to take care of the usual business, got to do the recap of the last episode from a lock and dog perspective. Then I'll do some takeaways and some news while also just previewing, or I should say recapping, what happened in the round of 64. And as I go through the matches, I'll tell you what caught my eye and some things I noticed. But anyway, starting off with the lock and dog picks, ended up splitting. So unfortunately, we did not get another sweep, but we did win the lock. We had Munfee on the money line at minus 125, and he was able to get the job done against Eubanks. Should have won in straight sets, but unfortunately, Munfee choked it away when he was serving it out for the match, and then he was also up a mini break, I believe, in the tiebreaker, and he choked that too. But Eubanks ran out of gas and no-showed the third set, so Munfee ended up getting over the finish line to give us a nice win. However, for the dog, ended up losing. We had the over two and a half sets in the Karatsev and McDonald match. Simply put, bad read by me. I thought Karatsev showed signs of improvement and signs of life in D.C., and unfortunately, that seemed to be a one-off because he rolled over and McDonald buried him in straight sets. So unfortunately, only split, but I guess still solid to hit the lock. Either way, point is looking forward to hopefully getting another sweep here in the round of 32. But now time to get into the actual recap for the first round, and then I'll move from there. So starting off with the matches that took place on Monday, you had a lot of Canadians that really did not play insanely well. You had Rayonich, who got a nice win against Tiafo. I mentioned that Tiafo was going to be in trouble because he had to play a lot of tennis in a D.C., including two matches on the same day. And I thought that traveling to Canada to play against the Canadian was not exactly a great scheduling spot. I was not sure if Tiafo would actually lose, but I thought Rayonich was alive, and Rayonich did get the job done. So congrats to him for getting the job done moving into the round of 32. As for the other Canadians, mostly was on... Tuesday, but Pospisil lost in straight sets to Arnaldi 
and you ended up seeing Galarnu lose in three to Sarundalo. I think he led three nothing in the third set there, and then he fell apart. But either way, point is the Canadians didn't exactly do that well in this event. But any other takeaways that I have from the first day of the tournament? Not really. But I thought Berrettini looked good. Now you're setting up a matchup between him and Sinner in the round of 32, which I thought would be a lot of fun. Uh, besides that, I thought the Kokonakas Zhang match would be entertaining. It was. I thought it'd go three, but it did not. It ended up being in a competitive straight set win for Kokonakis. You had Laheshka beat Nakashima. Kind of what I thought it would be. A three-set war, but Nakashima seems to always lose the three-set wars as Laheshka ended up winning that in three sets. Besides that, I'm trying to think of anything else that really caught my eye. Her catch, I thought, would beat Bublik, and he did. Bublik, he won his title on grass, and I expected him to basically just punt a bunch of matches on hard court, and he's well on his way to doing that. So, Bublik, I'm expecting to have a pretty big downswing in the hard court season, and so far, he's 0-2. So, just keep that in mind. Uh, besides that, though, you had Green, who choked away a pretty solid opportunity to win against Kikmanovic. Green had a bunch of break points at the end of the, second, at the, end of the third set and completely blew it. Uh, besides that, you had Schwartzman, who had a pretty entertaining match against Paul, but Schwartzman kind of rented a gas there at the end, and Paul got the break at 4-5 to win the match uh, as Schwartzman was trying to serve to stay in it. But for the most part, nothing really shocking on the first day. The main shocking result was Fakina, was who just buried Wolf. I did not expect 6-0, 6-2. Wolf was really bad. Fakina, we know, is an extremely talented player. But he's a head case, and he was playing some really bad tennis for the last couple of months, but he looked dominant. So that was the main shocker there on Tuesday. I do want to briefly mention, though, something that happened in that Rayonich and Tiafo match, which is kind of going to segue not really into a rant, but more of a discussion, because I'm sure a lot of you have seen the video now of the concluding point in the first set tiebreaker. It was an insane tiebreaker. Tiafo won it 14 to 12, but there was a moment at 13 12 where, where Rayonich was serving. Actually, no, Tiafo was serving because he just got the mini break from Rayonich. And long story short, Rayonich hit a drop shot that was very nice or hit the net and it bounced over. Point is, Tiafo was sprinting towards the net, didn't exactly have time to stop. Now, Tiafo ended up flicking a really impressive shot cross court which like barely landed in, but Tiafo bumped into the net before the ball bounced twice. So normally you'd assume, all right, Rayonich's point, pretty standard rule. Tiafo hit the net, therefore it's going to be Rayonich's point. We're going to move on the tiebreaker at 13-all. And then the chair umpire realized that Tiafo hit a specific section of the net, which was in the doubles alley. And technically, since it's a singles match, the doubles alley net, according to the rules, not according to the chair umpire, according to the rules, the doubles net, the uh, doubles uh, alley portion of the net does not actually exist. And as a result, Tiafo was allowed to hit the net in that area because the net is allegedly not there. Now, first of all, that sounds like some insane matrix explanation because you're telling me that we're living in a simulation. But still, the point is you have to pretend that the net is not actually there. But if it hits the net and it bounces over on any given point, then, of course, the play it's still in play. So the whole argument collapses on itself. But those are the rules. I'm not going to blame the chair umpire. He just followed what the rule book says. That rule needs to be changed. I can understand the argument of, well, you know, maybe if you're only playing on a singles only court, then you wouldn't have this issue. Yeah, but most 
tennis tournaments don't have the budget to have or space to have that many courts, one with doubles lanes and one without doubles lanes. So a lot of singles matches take place with the doubles lanes. So I didn't know this was a rule until I ended up seeing it in action. But Tiafo not only bumped into the into the net, he basically grabbed the net to stop himself. And apparently it didn't matter because he grabbed the portion of the net, which allegedly doesn't exist. So that whole thing was weird. I wanted to mention it. Luckily, it did not really matter in the grand scheme of things because Rayonis won the match anyway, and it came from behind. But I think it's a really dumb rule that needs to be changed, and a lot of people were outraged by it. Once again, I'm not outraged at the chair umpire. He did his job. He made the right call. The problem is the rule or the overall foundation of the rule itself doesn't really make any logical sense and needs to be changed. So that was the main talking point that happened on Monday. Uh, now going into Tuesday, I have another rant about the tennis channel, which I can get into, but I think I might save that for a rainy day. Uh, going into the Tuesday into the uh, Tuesday matches, though, really underwhelming on the men's side. In fact, only one match in the entire day went to a third set. You had Umber and Jari go three sets, which Umber won. Every other match was straight sets. Quarter one in straight sets, you had Giron. I thought the Murray match would be a war, and it was early on as Murray ended up beating Sonigo 7-6 in the first set, and then Sonigo no-showed the second set, and Murray won 6-0. Uh, Greek Spore lost in straight sets, not surprised there. Uh, Vukic ended up making it out of the first round after he replaced Dimitrov, which was a bit upset, a bit upsetting because I was looking forward to the Dimitrov Chorich match, but Dimitrov withdrew and Vukic took advantage of the opportunity and he ended up beating Chorich. Uh, you had Dimenauer and Nori have a competitive two set match, which Dimenauer won. Really bad year for Nori. He beat Alcaraz on clay and his entire season fell apart after that. Uh, you had Evans, who ended up losing in straight sets to Diallo. Fun match there. Felix is awful. A loss to Purcell in the first round. He's been just an absolute disaster all year long. And I know that he switched coaches and everything. He's got to find somebody else because right now this isn't working and he's not even close. Shelton won a match against Zapata Marias, was down a set. I was down a break in the first set, broke back at 4-5, and then ended up winning the, in the breaker, and then won the second set 6-4. Now he's going to take on Alcaraz and get destroyed. But either way, at least he won a match. It's been a really bad last couple of months there for Shelton. And you had a fun match between Rude and Laheshka to end the day, which Rude ended up winning in a competitive straight set. So overall, not exactly the most entertaining day of tennis on Tuesday, because once again, you had one deciding set in the entire day. But... Either way, that's kind of all I got to recap. The one takeaway that I'll make, which once again goes into something I've mentioned on the show for over a year, always, or at least most of the time, fade players following deep runs the weekend prior. Because if you're looking at all the players that had to play after making a deep run in either, well, those Cabos, we don't know about yet. Because, I mean, Dimenauer did win. But they also played Saturday night, early Sunday morning, so they had one more rest day compared to D.C. But if you're looking at D.C., Evans lost in straight sets, Greekspor lost in straight sets, Tiafo lost in straight in a three. If you made a deep run in D.C., you did not perform well here. So once again, fatigue's a serious problem, not to mention some potential jet lag traveling to Canada. But the point is, there is a good reason why I've mentioned time and time again in the past 
to try fading players off of long runs because one winning a title or even making a deep run is very emotionally draining because you're playing that many days in a row of tennis and you have that many high pressured situations. And now you have to just reset everything and start from the first round. It's a lot mentally to hit the reset button, not to mention some of the physical aching that you might have after playing that much tennis. We're going to wait and see how Fritz does. But once again, Fritz and Tsitsipas are in a unique spot where they did make a deep run over the weekend, but they also had a bye in the round of 64. So they do have some extra rest time built in. I'm not sure if it's going to apply to them, but if there's no rest time and you have to play immediately, you're probably in trouble. Like, for example, Evans had to play on Tuesday after winning a title on Sunday, and there was a rain delay, so the match ended Sunday night. So he really did not have much time to fully reset and just figure out any way to, I'd say, recharge his batteries. He still looked fine, but for the most part, Diallo just looked a bit sharper, and Evans ended up being a bit mispriced there because of the fatigue that wasn't fully factored in by the odds makers. But once again, Greek Spore, I'm not going to roast him for it because once again, he was competitive too, but Zverev's the better player. So it is what it is, just an unlucky draw for him. But I've mentioned it before. I'll mention it again. If you want some decent options to fade guys at pretty decent plus money, fade people following a deep run at an event without a lot of rest time in between. That tends to be a good spot. But anyway, don't really have much more to add I'll mention the Tennis Channel rant some other time. Uh, so maybe that's a teaser for later in the episode or maybe, or not later in the episode, maybe later in the week or maybe just for uh, some point down the road. But I've been saving that rant for a while. Either way, time to actually move into the purpose of this episode, which is previewing some of the matches taking place in the second round. So we're going to start off with the Wednesday matches and then I'll go from there. So whatever caught my eye first. Uh, I said I'm not gonna really going to talk about the 11 o'clock matches. I can do it briefly. I think the Rublev match against McDonald is interesting. I think Rublev's probably going to win. McDonald maybe wins a set. I doubt it, but I think Rublev probably wins somewhere in the realm of like 6-4, 6-4, give or take. Fritz and Umber is interesting. I think Umber can actually take a set off Fritz. Umber looked solid after the first set against the likes of uh, Jari, but I do think when you're looking at this matchup, Fritz, in addition to being exhausted, I don't know if he tweaked something, in that third set against Greek Spore, but it seemed like he was kind of grabbing at his hamstring at times. I think Uber might be live in that spot at around plus 250. If you want to play it safe, maybe take the games or maybe just take him to win a set. But Fritz, I actually think, is a bit vulnerable here because I do think, once again, playing that much tennis, not even just for DC, but also the fact that he parlayed his title in Atlanta into a deep run in DC. He's exhausted. I think Uber is definitely capable of upsetting him in the spot. So keep an eye out for Umber. Uh, but once again, I said I'm not going to give that out in the lock and dog section, but I think Umber might be worth something at maybe plus 250. Anyway, uh, moving on, I think Hercatch is going to beat Kekmanovic comfortably. Arnaldi's a fun player, but he's mostly a clay guy. He was able to beat Pospisil in the first round. Pospisil's not any good. So I think Medvedev's going to bury him in straight sets. Musetti Kokonakis is entertaining. I think that match should go three. Pretty much any match that involves Kokonakis always has the threat of going three sets because he seems to always find himself in marathon matches. And Musetti kind of surprised me in the first round. I know that he's a more talented player than Nishioka, but Nishioka's a good hardcore player, and Musetti's never been known for being a great hardcore player. So I thought that maybe that could get interesting, but Musetti kind of buried him, 6-4, 6-1. I think that you're going to end up seeing a pretty competitive match there. I think that might end up going to three. Uh, I might skip around here. 
Rayonich against Daniel, that's fun. I am trying to imagine Tyro Daniel reaching for 137 mile per hour serves. I'm not sure how many times Rayonich is going to get broken. So I think Rayonich probably takes that one. Uh, what else am I interested in? I'll go through the main matches that are intriguing, the matches that are circled as much must-watch TV. I think Zverev and Fakina is a very entertaining match. And I think Fakina might actually have a shot to make this interesting. Now, they faced off three times in their careers. Zverev buried him on hardcore in 2020 once. They played in hardcore again in 2020, but it was more competitive, 7-5-7-6. And they faced off in Roland Garros in 2021, and Zverev won in straight sets. But... Maybe it's just because of one match, but Fakina really looked good, and I know that he's been underachieving for the last couple of months. We know Zverev can also be a head case at times, and he looked fine against Greek Spore, but Greek Spore was a bit fatigued in the same scheduling spot that Evans was in, and Zverev still had some problems at times. I think plus 300 is a little bit nuts for this line. I think it should be Zverev favored by a decent amount. 300, though, like that feels a little bit rich to me. I think that you're looking at what should be Zverev around like minus, I'd probably put him at minus 300, or I'd probably put him like maybe 280, and I'd probably put Fakina at around plus 240, give or take. I think there might be some value on Fakina, maybe the plus four. I can see him hanging around against Zverev. I think Zverev's going to win, but I do think, once again, Fakina can make this interesting. Maybe he'll choke in the third set. But if Fakina plays as well as he did in the first round, he can easily beat Zverev. So I think that this price is off. And I'm going to at least mention it. Maybe the over 21 and a half games, I can see a tiebreaker happening. So I'd lean over there. Besides that, you have another entertaining matchup between Munfi and Sitsipas. Now, Sitsipas, I mentioned once again, he won a title over the weekend, but he had a bye in the first round and he did play on Saturday night as opposed to Sunday night. So he had an extra day. But Munfi had a nice performance there against Eubanks, which we called. That was our lock. But I do think when you're looking at this matchup, I am concerned about the stamina. For Monfi. We've seen at times, especially in his older age, he has a hard time of having great back-to-back performances. And that's the issue team's been running into recently. I know he made a final in his home country recently, but that was the issue we had seen with team and Warenka for a while, where it seemed like they played a really good uh, match in the first round, and then immediately, without having any time off, they would just lose the next round. Now, luckily, he does have a day off in between, so that should definitely help out the issue. I think Sitsipas is in line to be in trouble at times, but I think he's probably going to win. I can't really mention the head-to-head because each of those meetings happened 2019 or prior, so that means nothing to me. But you're looking at Monfi, and he had a very solid win against Eubanks. The serve is still not that great, and I know Sitsipas at times can be a little bit of a mess when it comes to returning. But Monfi's second serve is really not great, and I do think that Sitsipas is going to win more free points from the serve. The only counterpoint is, if I'm going to roast Eubanks for unforced errors, i got to at least bring up the fact that Monfi, if he can keep the ball in play, Sitsipas hits a lot of unforced errors too. But I think Sitsipas is in better form, uh, obviously just won a title. So I think 350 kind of makes sense. That's really... I'm, I'm really on the fence of where to find value on this match, because I want to lean over... But it would not shock me if Monfi puts together a good first set performance, maybe loses in a breaker, and then immediately just runs out of gas and ends up losing in two sets. Like, it wouldn't shock me if that happened. So I think Sitsipas is going to win, but I do think Monfi can make it interesting. I might consider Monfi first set, maybe first set spread, like plus one and a half, maybe. I think you can get a tiebreaker there. Maybe Monfi, since he's already adjusted to the court in Canada, and Sitsipas is not, maybe... 
it'll take a set or two for City Pass to fully adjust. So maybe look at Munfi early, but it's an entertaining matchup. I'm not going to bet on it. There's a little too many. There's a few too many variables uh, to talk about. But one match that I think is the must-watch match of the day is going to be between Berrettini and Sinner. And I mentioned that Berrettini was quite live actually to potentially win that match. And the odds suggest so, because Sinner is only minus 190, and you see Berrettini at around plus 165. So it does seem like they're giving Berrettini more than a puncher's chance of getting the job done. They've never faced off in the head-to-head, but Berrettini looked really good against Barreri in the first round, and Sinner has not played a singles match since Wimbledon. He played a doubles match in Toronto, and he lost a partner was randomly Dimenauer, which is pretty random, but either way, ended up losing in three. That was on Tuesday, but Sinner, once again, not playing on hard court for a long time, I think could mean that Berrettini's live here. So uh, once again, we have both these guys to win the quarter. So it is kind of important that for us, at least Berrettini wins because we got him at like 16 to one, which was an insane price. If Berrettini plays that well, we got an absolute steal. I think Sinner's probably going to win. But I think I like the over in this match. I could see a real war here. Berrettini, we know the serve is still great. The forehand is still great. And I do think that Sinner, once again, has a lot of power in his own right. Berrettini might win a first set, but we've seen stamina be an issue for him in the past. I think I'm going to go with the over in this one. Uh, you're looking at Berrettini and Sinner and the odds for the actual or the price for the over. It's at 23 at minus 119. Two and a half sets is plus 125. I think I'd rather take the over. If you can find a 22 and a half at like minus 135, I'd rather take that because I do think a 7-6-6-4 line is pretty reasonable. To be honest, if you ended up seeing a 7-6-7-6 score line, I don't think any of us would be shocked either. It could go three sets, but I think Berrettini plus two and a half games is interesting. I think he's pretty live to win it, but I do think that Sinner is the better player. So I do think that Sinner will eventually be able to tire out Berrettini, but expect a war. That's kind of my prediction. For that match, uh, I don't really have anything else for the rest of the card. Uh, Paul and Sarandolo is fun because they faced off a couple of times this year, and they've had a couple of fun matchups. But besides that, though, I think Alcaraz is probably going to kill Shelton, so I don't really see that uh, being an entertaining match at all. Might be fun, maybe, if Shelton can serve well, but Alcaraz should kill him. So I don't think that's going to be competitive. But moving on to the next order of business, if you didn't realize that actually is going to be the final match that we're going to talk about for the round of 32. It's a weird schedule where they have the round of 64 divided into two days, Monday and Tuesday, and then every other round is going to be uh, just all the matches that are left. So the point is now we have the entire round of 32 taking place or scheduled to take place on Wednesday. You never know about the rain or maybe just some matches going too long. Either way, though, point is that's going to do it for the actual preview portion. Now it's time to get into the lock and dog picks, but Forward to that, kind of a quick word from our sponsor. We're brought to you by the SportsCam Podcast Patreon. SportsCam Podcast Patreon is the perfect place for the diehard DGEN. Sign up for the Patreon to get exclusive access to contests, including the NFL Win Totals Contest with a $1,000 first place prize, plus a monthly SGP stories podcast, an ad-free, uncensored show highlighting the best stories from decades of being degenerate gamblers. There is even a Discord channel just for patrons. The Sports Game Podcast has, and always will, give out all their picks for free. The Patreon is a great way to support the network and fight back against corporate gambling. SportsCampodcast.com slash Patreon. SportsCampodcast.com slash Patreon. 
We're also brought to you by Parlay Play. Parlay Play is a great way to get down on your favorite parlayed player props. Football season is right around the corner, and Parlay Play will have all your favorite props. Parlay Play is available in a ton of states, including California and Texas. Plus, our good friends up north, Parlay Play, is available in all provinces of Canada. And when you sign up with our code, you'll get a sweet bonus to get started. Head over to parlayplay.io and use promo code SGP for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. That's parlayplay.io, promo code SGP. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the round of 32 matches in Toronto. Now it's time to get into the lock and dog pick. Starting off with the lock, I'm going to go back to one of the earlier matches taking place at around 12.20 p.m. Eastern time. It's going to be in a matchup between Arnaldi and Medvedev. And for this one, I am going to go with the under in games. I'm going to go with the under 20 and a half at minus 117. Cupboard's why I'm going to go with the under main reason I think Medvedev's going to kill him. I know Arnaldi has been an impressive player recently, but I watched a lot of the match against Pospisil. I thought he looked fine. For the most part, Pospisil couldn't just stopped double faulting, and Pospisil kept hitting unforced errors. Story of his career. But the point is, Arnaldi has won three matches so far, including qualifying, all by the score of 6-4. But you're looking at who he's beaten. He beat Kovacevic, who's not played well recently, uh, Pekadic, and he ended up beating Pospisil. Now you're against Medvedev, who is a former champion at this event. And I think when you're looking at how these players match up, Arnaldi's not a good enough server, in my opinion, to hold on a regular basis against Medvedev. He's also not the greatest at the net. And we know that Medvedev's issue is when he runs into serve and volley guys, because once again, he stands so far back on the court. But Medvedev, I do think, is not going to have to worry about Arnaldi charging the net that much to end points quickly. Arnaldi wants to stand behind the baseline fire forehands, and Arnaldi's going to run up against the wall. So I think when you're looking at this matchup, they faced off earlier this year in Dubai. Medvedev won 6-4-6-2. I see a pretty similar story here, but if you want to give me Medvedev, who's still one of the best hardcore players in the world, against Arnaldi, who's been good on hardcore, but I think we all know his best surface is on clay. I th- I'm going to go with the under. Medvedev in straight sets is like minus 185, but once again, I think that's pretty reasonable. Uh, I think Medvedev, once again, is just so steady on hard court, and he also has a good serve that Arnaldi's going to have problems. Now, I might sound a bit hypocritical because I kind of criticized Sinner before for not playing a single singles match since Wimbledon. Neither is Medvedev, but Medvedev, I just think, once again, is poised for a pretty deep run here since he actually made the final here and won in the past. So I think that once again, you're looking at a former champion who is in a pretty good spot against a, I don't want to say clay specialist, but a guy who prefers clay. And once again, it's, it, you're getting a pretty good deal here where Medvedev can easily break at least once per set. And he made the final back-to-back years in 2019 and 2021. Once again, 2020 was COVID didn't happen, but I think Medvedev once again, probably wins comfortably, but I am going to go with the under 20 and a half at minus 117 as my lock. And for the dog, I am going to go back to the Tommy Paul and Sarandolo match. And I am going to go with the over two and a half sets at plus 130. The head-to-head between these two players is very, very weird because they faced off three times in their careers, two times this year. Each match between them has gone to three sets. 
The caveat is all three matches were for some reason on grass. I don't know why, but they seem to always play against each other on grass. But we've seen wars between them. Sarandolo got taken to three sets against a relative unknown Canadian wild card. And Sarandolo has battled some fitness issues recently, so there is a chance he ends up retiring. And if that's the case, we end up pushing. But Sarandolo has retired before, so if he's actually injured, he's not going to tough it out. I think he'll quit, which definitely gives us a refund in theory. But when you're looking at how these players match up, Paul got taken to three sets against Schwartzman. He looked fine. We know Schwartzman's been an underwhelming player all year. But I do think, once again, the way that these two players match up stylistically tends to result in really, really long matches. But plus 130 for a head-to-head that is 3-0 to the three sets, I think it's a very good deal. I'm going to take it. So once again, the lock and dog picks for the show. The lock is going to be on Medvedev and Arnaldi under. 20 and a half games at minus 117. And the dog is going to be Tommy Paul and Sarundalo over two and a half sets at plus 130. That's going to wrap it up for, once again, the Tennis Gambling Podcast. We're back once again to go through the round of 16. But until next time, find me on Twitter, Rice Show Radio. Find me on a bunch of other podcasts with the network. Find me on the NBA show, the MLB show, the NFL show, the WNBA show. You get the point. Until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.